Welcome to the Rise Network Podcast Show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye and... Mayu, what's going on, Austin? I guess it's been a while since I've been on a preamble. We didn't release last week's episode and the two weeks before that, I think you were flying solo, man. So what's going on? <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of disappointed you're back because uh, it was it was fun <laughs> yeah, doing everything. You just want to just run the podcast yourself now on it. <laughs> exactly. I just don't, I, I was sick and tired of you interrupting me in the preamble. Now I had like full will to say whatever I want and go however long I want. Uh, anyways, no, it's, it's good to have you back. I guess the big news was the, uh, I guess the interest rate hike, right. That happened on, on Wednesday, 50 basis point below the market expectation of 75 basis points. Yeah. Why don't you share your thoughts on that? Mr. Uh, mortgage agent. <laughs> I, I honestly didn't even post anything on my story, but I'm so tired of it. I was <laughs> like, 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 everyone knows it's a 50 basis point hike. What is it really to talk about here? It happened. But I did like one thing that you shared on your story, which I thought not enough people are talking about, and that's a currency impact. And then also kind of correlated to that is what that means for our bond markets, right? So I don't know, maybe a lot more people that listen to this podcast know a lot more than us, right? I'm sure. But basically, if the US goes and does another 0.75, or even a one, or basically any hike that's bigger than our 0.5, it now makes our currency and our bonds less attractive as a result of the interest rate that they're paying out on the bonds and stuff like that, right? Which then it kind of follows, and I could be wrong on this, I haven't like researched the crap out of it, but the UK basically did the same thing, right? Like they weren't kind of upholding with what the market demanded for interest rate hike on their debt. And as a result, their debt starts to become a lot less attractive which then means less people are willing to buy it, which then impacts the currency and has this entire ripple effect, right? So I think you posted something about the currency side of it, which I think is not being discussed enough. The fact that overall the Canadian dollar will be worth less if we're not paying out the same amount as our currency or as our government debt should kind of have a risk rating on. So I'm curious to see what happens with that because obviously as the currency goes down, then your inflation goes up because your cost of goods and your materials and all that kind of stuff goes up because it is still a global market and everything has to be in balance. So I don't know. We'll wait and see what happens with that, but that's just going a step deeper, not really talking about anything, but kind of just, you know, noting that. What are your thoughts, Austin? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess for the hikes, I think everyone kind of expects what the hike is going to be. Obviously, this is below expectations of 75. I think the more interesting part with these hike announcements is the Bank of Canada sharing their thoughts, whether it's hawkish, dovish, or they're telegraphing their next step, right? Because it gives you an idea of, okay, like, at least in the next few months, what to expect. A lot of people read out as bullish. It's like, oh, 50 bips, much lower than rate mm. expectations. But the bank again also said, look, I mean, we're still going to do a few more hikes, not one more, a few more hikes, not as aggressive, right? Because they said that they're noting a pretty drastic impact on the economy. No shit. Yeah. But we still are expecting some more rate hikes going in the future. I just don't know how long they can keep on hiking until something breaks. Just taking a look at like some of the mortgage payments that we have, like, <laughs> Some cash flow positive. Pro- we we have a few single families in our portfolio. Yeah. They're cash flow positive solely on the fact that the mortgage payment is variable, but it's a closed payment. So they're increasing a little bit, right? Not an yeah. insane amount. But if there are open variable like our single families, then yeah, they would be cash flow negative by a lot more. Not not a drastic amount, but a lot more than what we're seeing right now. 
it's interesting to see what's going to happen in the future. But I was also speaking with other investors as well. And it's hard because there's a lot of uncertainty in the market, which is why people don't want to enter. And there's a lot of quote unquote potential downside because we haven't seen the full effect. We're not technically in a recession when you look at consumer behavior. Fucking if you go to a mall, Jesus Christ, like there's still lineups, everything's Mm -hmm. packed. People are buying as if like, (laughs) as if the interest rates don't even matter. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That being said, like when I was speaking with other people, they were like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty. We don't know when the bottom's going to be. But isn't it as investors, we kind of want to trade on uncertainty when things are certain. Typically speaking, you've already missed the boat. And it's a scary thought because I've purchased a few properties with JV partner, some of it with my own capital as well. And it's uh, obviously the numbers make sense. The pro forma makes sense. But then you just think, all right, what if the numbers don't pan out? What if the ARV, like ARV is the scary part, realistically. What if the ARV is much lower than what I thought it'd be? How are things going to shake out that way? Right. But at the same time, it's a long term hold. And I know that things are uncertain now. And typically speaking, again, uncertainty brings the most opportunities. But fucking, I could be totally. (laughs) I'm sure you're being super conservative on your ARV, as we both are, right? Like we both kind of. Okay. So, so a couple of things. Okay. You got to rewind a little bit. So the first thing that you said is kind of referring to like Warren Buffett's like quote of like, you know, acting when others are scared or whatever that quote is. Right. And I think it's easier said than done. But right now, I think we're right in that moment where everyone else is shit scared. Right. And so you have a lot of investors that have always preached this concept, but at the same time, aren't necessarily executing on it. Right. Because it does require a shit ton of balls. And it also depends on how much capital you have available. Right. Like if you only have a hundred K in capital, you really got to try and time it as much as possible to find the bottom, right? But you won't know when the bottom was until we're well beyond it, right? Yeah. The other thing is when Warren Buffett is saying that, yes, it applies to most asset classes, but like I think he's referring mostly to the stock market. That's not a highly leveraged industry. True. That's the other yeah. scary element. Real estate is extraordinarily capital intensive, as you mentioned, right? It's yeah. not like something you just average down. And it's also a highly levered industry. So that's why it's like, you're not supposed to time the market. Like I, no one knows what the market's going to do. If anyone tells you they're full of shit, right? Like anything can happen, but it's like also at the same time, it's like you only have a limited amount of ammo and it's a levered industry. So you kind of do want to make sure you, you, you get in at the right time. If that makes sense, you don't want to catch a falling knife as well. Yeah. Obviously it's levered, but we're focusing on pulling out our capital. And so you can address that by being super conservative on ARVs, which I'm sure you're doing right. What keeps me up at night isn't really more so the ARV. It's more so what's my holding cost going to be on all these properties, right? And then like, will I be able to debt service everything across the board? And then if you start deploying all of your capital into active projects that you have going on, you still need capital set aside for kind of like your your reserves and like your emergency. If like every single property starts bleeding, there's going to be capital calls that start happening at the end of 2023, right? Probably not this year. This year seems to be okay, but you never really know where next year will go. So that's probably what keeps me up at night. but I mean, fuck, we'll see. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. There's, there's never a night of uh, a peaceful sleep as an investor <laughs> with our single families. If one tenant doesn't pay rent, oh man, that's uh, yeah. that's a big lead, right? That's why I guess I, I haven't been touching single families as much recently. I need like multiple sort of incomes on on any sort of property just for worst case scenario. But it's eye opening too. Like now, like we always said, assess downside, which everyone did. But now it's like much more. It's like. Let's assess the downside and realize that there's a decent probability that the downside <laughs> might hit, right? So it's a bit yeah. more scary at that point. Anyways, let's jump into some more positive news and get into the podcast today. We have a legend in the game, Mr. Irwin Cito, aka Mr. Hamilton. 
And Irwin's actually, before we get into a little introduction into him, Irwin actually was gracious enough to give our listeners a discount to his Wealth Hacker event coming in November, where he has some big, big speakers there. I was actually in the Wealth Hacker event two years ago where Grant Cardone was speaking. It was phenomenal. Got to connect with tons of investors this year. Almost certainly going to be the same thing. And he's very excited for the speaker too. He's saying it's probably going to be even better than the Grant Cardone one. So excited. The discount is RISE, capital R-I-S-E. And you can get, what was it, Mayu? 40% off of the ticket price, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I believe so. 40%. We don't get any payback from this, guys. Erwin was nice enough to provide this discount to you guys. Anyways, in this episode, we discuss a ton of different topics, starting off with how Erwin got started in the real estate scene, how he was able to grow multiple businesses from his real estate aging business, his iWin kind of mentorship club, the Wealth Hacker Academy, holding big conferences what his clients are doing currently investing in today's market where there's a lot of uncertainty, what we're talking about right now, and how he's looking to make capital and capitalize on the current market environment as well. You guys are definitely going to enjoy this episode. Make sure to tune in. Don't leave meeting. Leave meeting. Well, that wraps up this podcast. No, I'm joking. We're, we're joined with a very special guest. You guys probably already recognize his voice based on the first few seconds, but Mr. Hamilton himself, Erwin Cito. Erwin, how's everything going, man? Too busy. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to dive into exactly what you're too busy with, but I guess for our, our audience that might not know you, even though you have your own podcast, I think a lot of people definitely know you, but why don't you give everyone kind of a quick introduction about yourself, how you got started in real estate, and just your bio. Let's hear it. <laughs> Uh, where to start? I could probably use the whole time. Uh, I've always wanted to make money. Unfortunately, when I graduated university, it was right during the dot-com bubble burst. So I graduated into a recession. So coming out of business school with 30 grand debt and no jobs, it sucked. So I, when I eventually did start working, just opening that paycheck, you know, you guys have had paychecks before. I couldn't believe how much I was paying (laughs) in tax and CPP and EI and there was nothing left. Like my whole goal was to get rich. So then like, how would that happen with a wage? And when my pay, like I was barely getting enough savings to pay down my debt. And then thankfully my girlfriend at the time, her father gave me the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that just completely changed my mindset. It was one of the biggest aha moments of my life where the basics are, if you just work and get promoted, you just pay more tax. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, you usually take on more responsibility, work longer hours, and then your hourly rate just goes to crap, right? And also your stress level, is it really worth it? So uh, then the idea of entrepreneurship, it just made so much sense. And as much as we all like to dump on the government, they actually do have a lot of incentives for entrepreneurs and investors. And my stocks were doing great because <laughs> <laughs> I got caught up in the, uh, the financial crisis. Mm-hmm. So my stocks got whacked, but we had some real estate and we were worried about it. But it did fantastic because in a credit crisis, no one could get a mortgage. So all of a sudden, there are all these tenants like, mm-hmm. fighting over what I owned, which was rental properties. It's like, oh, this is working out well. <laughs> I thought the world was ending. My investments are doing great, though. My rents are going up. I have lots of demand for my rentals. And if anyone remembers back then, like the prices barely dipped, right? Because interest rates are still low. Immigration was crazy strong. And yeah, it just continued to focus on what made sense was real estate. And then eventually that led to my exit of the corporate world. Yeah. And then just been going ever since. Gotcha. 
I know that you're a man with many businesses. So it looked like rental properties was the first one that you got into. Yes. When you exited the corporate world, did you have any sort of active source of income or was it solely based off of your existing portfolio? And at that point, what was your existing portfolio when you made that transition? I had about five properties. I also, thankfully, my girlfriend's, I think she was my wife at the time, now ex-wife, but she had a pretty good business herself and made good money. Housing was a lot cheaper back then. So I was actually mortgage free at the age of 30 because we were aggressive in paying down our mortgage. But more importantly, we were able to buy so cheap back then. We lived in a two bedroom downtown Burlington. So that's done very, very well. So it was an interesting journey because being analytical by nature and also coming from a business school background, I look at real estate investing as a business. And so in trying to find a realtor who actually looked at real estate investments like a business, like understand like cash flow analysis, that didn't really exist. Most realtors, and I love lots of realtors and hate lots of them too. Realtors, are, realtors in my experience are generally very good people, people, right? They're generally not um, analytical by trade. Like, you know, I took two years economics. Again, I took finance, I took accounting, even considered becoming an accountant. So to come with that kind of mindset, working with realtors, it was actually really difficult for me to find a realtor. And actually the one realtor I was working with was actually the broker owner. He owned two brokerages. So very successful individual butted heads on what was a good investment and what wasn't. So then I'm like, why am I paying all this commission? <laughs> right? So actually, no, I started looking for an agent that would suit my needs and there was none. Agents would say, yeah, we do investments, but in reality, they might do maybe 10% of their clients were investors. And then again, not many of them as the level of sophistication I wanted, especially when I'm paying so much in commissions, right? If I broke down their hourly rate, it was a very significant, very, very good hourly rate they were getting paid. So I wanted to pay for quality. So I didn't find the value. So I myself got licensed only to trade for myself and my family to just deal with their own portfolio. At the time, we had about five properties. Yeah. And I think that's actually a very good point that you bring up. Cause I think at that point in time, being a realtor was kind of viewed as like a backup career, right? And some people still view it like that today, right? But at the same time today, you're, you're definitely seeing more and more people that are coming from like various corporate backgrounds, like they study to be like an engineer and all of a sudden, and then they, mm-hmm. they decide to be like a realtor, right? So you're seeing more and more realtors that are coming from various kind of corporate-ish type backgrounds that have completely different skills from what it was way back then, I'd imagine, right? Right, right. So no, that's great. So how did you go about kind of, because obviously you're, you're known as Mr. Hamilton, right? And you're kind of one of the go-to realtors in the Hamilton region for investors, right? So how did you go about building up that client base because the investing side is one thing. It's definitely something we talk about almost all of our guests, kind of how you scaled up your portfolio and stuff, but just being an investor oriented realtor, how did you go about building up that client base in an era where I guess, I don't know when you decided to be a full-time realtor, but like uh, social 2010. media, 2010. Okay. Yeah. So social media was like just starting. No. Point, right. Yeah. Email lists. Yeah. Okay. So how did you go about building that up? Uh, back then, so back in 2008, I joined a fairly large network of real estate investors and I was just there to learn. Mm-hmm. And because I made so many friends there, when they learned that I had my real estate license, yeah. they asked if I could help them do what I already had. They just want to repeat what I had. And then I was like, oh, this is kind of neat. I enjoy doing yeah. this. I already know this stuff really well. And for me, it's a really easy business. If I would buy it, I'd recommend it to my client. Very easy yeah. business. And that was at the point I quickly realized is again, just doing math because math and real estate investors are generally good at math. (laughs) So I did the math. I figured, Hey, I actually can make more money as a realtor doing what I enjoy and helping people. And also it'll help me grow my own portfolio versus staying at this corporate job. 
So I actually took a sabbatical, four week sabbatical, because I believe in doing everything proper and ethically and morally correct, right? If I'm going to do a side hustle, it's not on work hours. I put in my hours, I do everything right. So I went on a vacation, basically, a sabbatical, four weeks to see if I could get a run at it. And then when I came back, that's when I resigned. And then as a hedge, like I resigned, I wanted to resign completely. And then my director said, you can't resign. I need you back. I need you two, three days a week. You can work from home for part of it. When work from home was like a complete rarity, <laughs> I was allowed to work from home, which was a big deal for me because my commute was almost an hour. And mm-hmm. for anyone who remembers commuting, it sucks, right? I guess yeah. like the go train, you know, <laughs> yeah. always something happened. They hit somebody or the weather. It just sucks. You know, we all talk about like real estate for freedom. You're stuck on a go train. You kind of have lost the freedom at that point. Kind of like go train jail. <laughs> yeah. There was an interesting stat that said most people actually don't like their job, mainly because of the commute. For me, I guess it wasn't too bad because when I was investing, it was podcasts and, and audiobooks during that commute. But I guess like in 2010, podcasts, audiobooks, non-existent. So you're just kind of kind of in reading. your own head there. You're reading. Yeah, or, who, or who playing, <laughs> uh, playing whatever game we could play on our BlackBerry, whatever yeah. those games, uh, uh, you know, the block busting, you know, yeah. yeah Good times. It's called. Back. Um, I kind of want to go through the realtor timeline before we switch over to something else. So obviously mm-hmm. the realtor business has been going well. And now are, do you own a brokerage or what's your current status as a realtor? And how did you get there? Because I'm assuming you don't want to work in it forever as well, because ultimately it is a job. So do you have anyone working under you, assisting you admins? Mm-hmm. Like how's that business structured? Mm-hmm. So sorry, just to close up the last, the previous question. How I branded myself was I was attending these events wearing a Hamilton Tiger Cat jersey with Mr. Hamilton on the back. That's how everyone recognized me. Not everyone, but most people have seen me around at least. Yeah. But now I was branded with like the most well-known brand for that city. Nice. And also yeah. Hamilton was getting a, a ton of buzz as being the, the place to invest as like the most up and coming place in Ontario to invest. So again, got lucky, caught that wave as one to get out of my comfort zone as a shy person. You know, I learned English as a second language. So like even this, like 10 years ago, was completely uncomfortable for me. Right. So the the question around around real estate. So I am an agent at Rockstar Real Estate. I'm mentored by Tom and Nick Caradza. I have six full-time agents that work under me. So I haven't been on the road for about six years. So my actual investor skills are kind of dulled <laughs> because I'm so busy. I've adopted more investment styles than most of my clientele. Most of my clientele invests as a side hustle. Mm-hmm. Almost all my clientele, especially with all this work from home stuff, they're pretty happy with their careers. Yeah. Especially this time. This is the best time ever to have a job. <laughs> work from home is like everywhere. People are getting paid more than ever. You know, I had a client who got a pension working for a bank, right? Like you can negotiate almost anything you want these days. So my point is that my, uh, for example, the last two properties I bought were, um, I bought turnkey. So then uh, I bought turnkey duplexes. So I didn't have to go through the, the permit process, the general contracting process, you know, having to, because my advice to people is always visit be on site once a week if it's a major reno. So, you know, duplex basement conversions are, I consider a major reno. Mm-hmm. I just didn't have time for it, just with everything else going on. And I had more bigger priorities in my life. The property before that was a full burr, though. That's actually a very good point, because I think it comes down to what's your return on time, right? And if, sure, you can maybe lift the value of your property by, I don't know, call it 80, 100K, right? But how many hours is that going to take you of your own time hunting for the deal and buying it and, and converting it and doing all that stuff versus 
if your time is better spent being on the realtor business and your various other businesses, which we'll talk about mm-hmm. later, then it makes a lot more sense to just buy stuff that's turnkey. We all say as an investment vehicle rather than kind of just like a wealth creator, right? Yeah. So that's great. How did you go about scaling your team? And I guess what's your role in that business today, which kind of gets us into kind of your role in all of your businesses today? <laughs> so my role in the business is more for like on the top level, as in like the generating business. So for example, I have a podcast, I have SEO blogs and websites. We host free trainings and meetups to provide information to folks. We do educational based marketing, really, which is just largely sharing our experience and sharing how we did it. My client typically returns over 30% on their money as a side hustle. I think that usually gets most people's attention. And also just to explain to people, you know, many investors generally have lots of fears. They don't know what it's like. They have no experience versus, you know, I bring, you know, I have over 500 clients. We do around hundred deals a year. My client's average returns around 30%. We figured it out pretty good. Look at what the process looks like in terms of running a real estate investment business in terms of like the best contractors, the best property manager, the best, everything, the best plumber, the best handyman, all sorts of things. We can take almost anyone, which is generally what we do. Our clients typically from the Toronto area, we drop them into our world and here's everybody that we use. Use whoever you like. Mm-hmm. These are the people I use on my properties. And also, it just so happens, I'm typically the number one referral source. So mm-hmm. when I send referrals, I just ask them to take care of them. I've been offered referral fees. I said, no, thank you. Just provide good service to my clients. Because for my business, the sooner my client's successful, which is typically after they're renovated and the property's rented out, then they're typically buying another property or sending me a referral. Yeah. So for all you new realtors out there, that's how you be successful have successful clients yeah. mm-hmm. right and i'll find out about it i'll find out about it when we go to list the property for them right mm-hmm. you'll find out now who's a really successful realtor and who is and with with current market conditions like who's still doing absolutely. volume and who won't be yeah absolutely and that's one important point you mentioned there when i started off investing one of the first things that i did was find my uh rockstar realtor because once I have a realtor on my power team, a lot of the times, if they do enough volume, as you mentioned, they have referrals to property managers, to contractors. So you don't have to actually go out there and build it yourself. Do I suggest doing it? Sure. Just to interview a couple, but you have the referrals, right? So that's always super important. And speaking of working with clients and helping them buy 100 homes a year, investment strategy. Let's talk a little bit about that. Current market condition, obviously, a lot is up in the air. Not very positive news, actually pessimistic Mm -hmm. news in the short term for real estate investing. What kind of strategies are you recommending your clients to take on in this sort of environment where interest rate, it seems like it's going to continue to increase, at least in the short term, Mm -hmm. um, and prices have downward pressure. So what strategies work best in your opinion in kind of a downward trending market? So in terms of active real estate, meaning like buying and owning it, uh, yeah. Two things I've been telling clients is I'd buy turnkey duplexes because those properties have come down close to over, over $300,000. So stuff that used to sell for almost 1.1, we can pick them up for like 750 these days. And I mean, turnkey oh. and this legal duplex. So it has a legal, it has permits. And so for the areas I operate, if you have a permit, you have your electrical safety authority done and the city inspected it. And in my experience, our inspectors are tough. So my point is, if I were to do the conversion myself, I'm having to pay 600 something and then go spend close to 200 grand for the reno, right? So to me, the math does not make sense to do my own conversion when I can go by turnkey. So that's one strategy for our clients who are 
bit more advanced and deeper pockets, they're doing triplex conversions. So they're taking either a larger house and turning it into a triplex, or they're duplexing a house and then converting the garage into uh, a separate unit, into a garden suite. I had no idea that strategy worked in Hamilton as well. I know some people that do it in Welland, I think, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, like Welland, mostly Welland. And even if we can't, uh, in Brantford, Brantford's good. Uh, Hamilton's tougher. But the thing is, with this market being down, buy the property that you can do that in the future. So buy that property that has a detached garage you can potentially convert. Right. You don't have to do it right away. You can do it later. You don't have to do it all. Just yeah. the fact that you can convert it down the road will make your property worth more. And the example is, like we've been doing this for the longest time. We always trying to buy properties with options. So for example, a bungalow that could have a basement conversion is worth more. The price used to be the same for a bungalow as a one and a half story house, right? Square footage roughly worked the same, lot size the same, right? Number of bedrooms all the same, number of bathrooms the same. But I always wanted the bungalow because I knew I could suite the basement in the future. And then that paid off because the bungalows started going up in price faster than the one and a half stories. Because in Hamilton, almost, I would say like 90% one and a half stories, the basement height's not there. So it'd be a massive expense in order to convert that into a basement suite. It doesn't make sense, right? I think it's interesting, but you're basically talking about, there's two things I think that you said. One is kind of like, you, you saw the arbitrage right now between if you buy a existing like non-duplex property and then you convert it into a duplex, you see that the value doesn't make much sense. You might mm-hmm. as well buy a pre-existing duplex, right? So that kind of goes back to like this entire concept of like arbitrage and, and kind of identifying where the market doesn't yeah. really line up and add up, right? Yeah, and then the second thing, <laughs> yeah, the second thing that you just talked about is seeing the future potential of properties and kind of banking them, right? So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, a lot of that stuff started happening when we saw Garden Suite and so on, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's no, definitely super cool. So, you know, going into the other businesses that you run today, because you've got the realtor business, which is a team, or do you have a brokerage? I can't remember. I'm a team. Okay, for the realtors out there, you don't have to have your own brokerage in order to have a team. Okay, perfect. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. not even a broker. <laughs> Right. I don't want to go back for more school. <laughs> yeah. so, so you've got the realtor business. You also run, and we'll talk about this again, but you've got some real estate conferences that you've historically run and are probably starting again now because of COVID and, and all that stuff mm-hmm. is kind of done with. And then you've got Stock Hacker Academy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there's anything else beyond that, but those are three that I, I personally know you for. So oh, yeah, I'd just love to hear. My wife's it. accounting business. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's, accounting. that's true. Right. So how do you go about running all these businesses? Um, Cause they all definitely must be like a drain on your time. I struggle to do anything more than two things at the same time. So yeah. <laughs> Monster payroll. <laughs> that's, how, that's, how you, that's how you manage it. And now you gotta go manage the monster payroll to bring in enough money to cover for it. Yeah, I would say grow slow, go slow, hire key people. Like for yourselves, you guys are real estate investors. You know, your first hire, for example, was either a handy person or a bookkeeper. And then you just kept going from there, like an office admin. And you keep going up. Now you go to an office manager. And then depending on your real estate business, you know, maybe you hire a salesperson, like a wholesaler. Right. Mm-hmm. So again, it's slow growth. I think this market has shown us a lot about overly aggressive growth as uh, some companies have gone under. Some investors have gone under. I started on the weekend. I don't know these people personally, but apparently a $9 million fund just went under. Two individual investors who raised $9 million, apparently. Apparently, wow. they're going for bankruptcy protection, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, all this like 10x stuff, it all sounds great. But having vision and imagination is easy. 
execution is a whole nother level. Like I'm sure you guys have experienced that personally. You know, like your duplex conversion, your triplex conversion, or whatever, your server and build. You know, it's easy to visualize, easy to do the drawings. They're actually getting it done, that's something else, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think a lot of investors have been bailed out by the market condition. And like, mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not even lying to myself. I think at a point during COVID, if things didn't boom up, I probably would have lost everything too. Because remind, oh, yeah. remember you and I closed oh, on like five or six properties at once. And I was like, uh, holy yeah. shit, lines of credit, lines of credit. But market boom, refinance, we're good. Yeah, but yeah. we learned from that. We never went back. But like the market has made us feel like we were superheroes and, and much smarter than we actually are. But mm-hmm. it's good that it comes back to the fundamentals and numbers, right? Like right. that's what it boils down to. Mm-hmm. And now it's showing this more than ever. So you mentioned something interesting, hiring, getting more people on payroll. I do mm-hmm. agree with you that that's extremely important, the who, not how. But however, to justify that, you need to start bringing in revenue, mm-hmm. right? So were you focused on one line of business? So I believe you have the meetup as well, Iwin, right? Yeah. So were you focused on growing each one of these lines of business and putting in your own sweat, equity and time, getting the revenues up, then hiring and then following that pivoting? Or were you creating and working on multiple in the background and kind of dividing your time among the different businesses? So actually, it's a great point you bring up about like hiring, for example. So on my property business, I haven't hired anyone. It's all like my property managers, my handy people. It's all basically contract or like they just bill me their time and materials. So I have no employees on my real estate business, even though it's 11 properties, eight figures. I haven't found the need to hire personally. And in my experience, very few people hire. And people who do hire, they're typically full-time investors. <laughs> right? So I think that's an important distinction for most people to make out there. And then also, it is tough to cash flow enough for certain staff. So for example, if, if you're ever big enough for like a general manager, for example, or like a chief operating officer, those people usually pay, make, make six figures. So not many real estate investors cash flow six figures and beyond to pay themselves. Uh, my first assistant, I was an agent for just a couple of weeks because I can't stand paperwork. I immediately hired somebody and also just for my own business. And this would be good for anyone who is in big ticket sales. Take Donald Trump, for example, remove politics. I should, I should use the name someone else. Say, name Ray, say Ray Dalio. <laughs> say, you, say you want to call Ray Dalio. When you call Bridgewater, do you get Ray Dalio? No, <laughs> you get someone else. When you call a doctor or a lawyer, do you get the person you're trying to get to? No, there's usually someone else. So I needed that perception as well, that I was at a certain level, even though I was brand new. <laughs> I needed someone else to take the call so that, so that people realize that, oh, Erwin's like serious. He's an assistant. <laughs> but really, I wasn't that busy. <laughs> but at least, at least I, I'm just, yeah, just yeah, waiting yeah. for the call. Yeah, yeah. I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm like listening to my assistant. I'm like listening. I'm listening. <laughs> right. All right. Yeah. That's good. Okay. All right. Okay. Make him wait. Make him wait 60 seconds and transfer them over to me. It sounds like something Michael Scott would do from the office. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love Michael Scott. Love yeah. Michael Scott. So the realtor business, I understand like that you probably grew pretty organically right mm-hmm. but then you're now a successful realtor and then you're starting up these other businesses right yeah. uh, whether it's iwin or stock hacker academy or, or running the conferences right so i guess the question is did you grind away at these businesses first on your own put in your own sweat equity or did you hire knowing what that business could be with no real guaranteed number that it would hit yeah got grind got a bootstrap mm-hmm. you have to deliver it and experience it yourself you have to use your own personal special talents to get anything off the ground. 
right. I think it's too hard to partner because part of it is we all have our own values, right? I'm pretty sure you two hustle pretty hard. And I'm pretty sure you both have a hard time finding people that hustle as hard as you do. Right. It's people who can keep up. Yeah. So if you find someone to keep up with you, incredible talent, then sure, consider partnering or consider hiring them. But if you can't, it's really hard to hire entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Someone who can get a startup off the ground because if they're talented, they'll usually demand a pretty high income. If they have experience, they're going to usually demand something pretty good. So Mm -hmm. my experience, we bootstrapped everything for ourselves. Like, for example, our first conference, Cherry and I did all the marketing, right? We wrote all the emails. Mm. We had to fire our social media manager. Uh, Actually, no, they fired us. If they didn't fire us, we were going to fire them in the next 30 seconds (laughs) after they said they fired us. (laughs) And we created our ads as well, right? Mm -hmm. And, And then like Cherry literally created our agenda, the agenda that you hand out during the day. She created that herself. She wow. found Canva back in 2019. I don't know if people knew what Canva was back then, but Cherry created our own pamphlet that had the agenda on it, did it herself. Like we had to do it ourselves mm-hmm. because, you know, we didn't have budget. And also it's hard to always convey things to people to get them to do what you want, to deliver what you want. Yep. Like you guys, I'm sure you've had that experience. There's like a more creative contractor job, right? Mm-hmm. It's not easy to convey your message, your vision to people. I'd love to hear about the conference a little bit more because I think people have always thought about doing conferences. People do conferences all the time. Oh, don't. (laughs) Bad idea. (laughs) But I think you guys went pretty hard. I don't know if that was the first one. It was definitely the person that I heard of you guys doing. And you brought Grant Cardone out for that one. Yeah. Which definitely must have been a leap of faith, no? Like, it's like, oh, like, what if I bring Grant Cardone? I have 10 people sitting in the audience. Was that never a concern for you? Or were you just like... Oh, absolutely. Absolutely was a concern. Because the thing about conferences, and it just drives all conference people nuts is usually somewhere around half the tickets are sold the last three weeks before the conference. Mm-hmm. So if you plan out 12 months in advance, you basically, your cash flow will suck. <laughs> uh, so anyone's ever listening to this ever wants to do a conference, make sure you can afford it. Mm-hmm. Right? Thanks to my, our real estate portfolio, we could always fall back on selling a property. If it was a colossal failure, we'd lose one of our properties, not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you don't have that kind of, because I've spoken to other conference organizers and they lose money and they don't really have it. Yeah. Right. Like concert promoters, for example, because talent costs money. They have to mm-hmm. pay a band costs very similar to what I had to pay Grant Cardone, right? Which is six figures, mm-hmm. right? Which was fair. He did literally fly his private jet in. He didn't fly it himself, but you know, he took the yeah. private jet in. And he jetted right back out, which is crazy. <laughs> boss moves. <laughs> yeah, total boss moves. We're like, yeah. where, should, where should we send the car? And they gave us this like weird place I never heard of before at the airport because that's where the private jets land. Like, yeah. it's not my context, right? I have no idea. What it, I have no Holy experience around shit. this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Super baller. Okay. So, like, oh, yeah. he's totally a super baller. He's legit. <laughs> he's a real super baller. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of like the actual organization of the conference, Doing everything yourself. I know something on it. I've done it in a very small scale. Um, I've done it in a small scale in university, like those university sort of events I had to like Mm -hmm. organize. And it was a lot of work because logistics, it could take days and days and and you get stressed because you need to make sure everything happens at every second. You need to be everywhere at once. Given that it's super time consuming, it's stressful and you're never not stressed until it's done. Right. Is it worth your return on the amount of stress and time that you're putting in? And if not, like financially, then what is the purpose of hosting these grand events? 
Like, what is the, the why behind is. it? Is there the like a to lose money? <laughs> <laughs> so it's not making too much money then. Uh oh. Okay. So here's here's a good story. I went early the day of my event. I arrived on site at seven thirty to walk the stage just to get a feel for it. And so the day of, I hadn't, I'd never met our AV person before. So our AV person, Andy, he's big time. He's done AV for like all the AV, like he's done all the AV in the stage setup for like Celine Dion, for Cirque du Soleil, for Tony Robbins, right? So he's big time. So he comes up to me. I've never met him before in person. He goes to me, Erwin, what did you do here? Heavy English accent. I can't do that. I can't impersonate. He says, what did you do here? I'm like, what do you mean? What did I do here? He goes, every first year event, event organizer, they lose $100,000. On their second one, they might lose 30, 40,000. What did you do here? Because we had 1,500 people, right? We almost broke even. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> we almost broke even. And I go, I don't know. I don't know what we did. Just as always, Cherry and I do our best, right? Setting goals is like great, but if you don't do your best, you never get anything. So we just did our best. Thankfully, we have a sizable audience, mainly our email databases. And that's how we, yeah, delivered on a 1,500-person conference with Grant Cardone as the headliner. But the feedback was amazing. I couldn't mm-hmm. believe the feedback. And this is 2019. There's lots of conferences back then. It's true. I've been hearing more and more from like various different like YouTube videos or something, how like social media can be taken away from you, but ultimately an email database is, is one of your true assets. I feel like Austin, you might have even said that at a point. And it's actually like so true. It kind of speaks to the testament of that. So what got you guys to deciding to run another event this year in November, I guess, right? November 12th. So what saved us from the last conference was we had offers to make. For example, we had real estate, uh, Iowan Real Estate, my business to offer and coaching services and whatnot. And we had Stock Hacker Academy. So we made money of selling those things. Gotcha. Yeah. And that was the only things that were allowed to be sold. Grant had it in his contract. He was not allowed to sell from stage, but he still tried to sell something from stage. <laughs> it, was a, it, was a, it was a cringe moment for everyone. Because <laughs> so what he was funny. pitching was like 10 grand US. You can't, you can't tell him not to sell. Like that's his entire brand. <laughs> it was hilarious. It again, I think everyone cringe because Canadians do not like American style pitching. Right? Yeah. It might have been 30,000. I think it was 30,000 US. In 2019, that was a lot of money, right? Yeah. Whatever. It's 10 or 30,000, whatever. But that's why we were able to make offers that people found value in. So then, you know, we'll have different offers this time, completely different offers this time at the conference. Again, for folks who want to continue on this journey with Cherry and I, retirement planning has been a massive thing these days. I won't say too much. (laughs) We've changed Stock Hacker Academy considerably in terms of our offering. Our real estate services have been tested by these times and we've done wonderful. So. Yeah. These are the lessons that represent. I guess for our audience, that might be interested. So Erwin's runs uh, the Wealth Hacker Conference, right? It's called the same thing mm-hmm. this year, yeah? Wealth Hacker yeah. Conference. And Erwin, I guess for anyone that might be interested, uh, I guess who are your keynote speakers and any content you can share for people on how they can kind of reach out and, and learn more about the event? Yeah. yeah. Uh, website's wealthhacker.ca. For anyone interested in tickets, we have a discount code, R-I-S-E, which spells, I don't know, Oh, Rizzy? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I actually completely missed that. I was like, oh, R-I-S-E. Yeah. <laughs> Rizzy. We know math, not, not, not English. <laughs> Rise is the discount code. So currently, depending on when people listen to this, like the currently this current discount is 40% off using that discount code. Nice. Uh, our keynote speaker is Jesse Itzler, who in my opinion is probably the best speaker that's out there available right now. Uh, many people don't know him. His resume is ridiculous. For example, he was a partner in Zico Water 
So Zico Water was in Costco, for example. It was that, uh, that big a, water, a coconut water company. And he sold it to Coca-Cola. He started Marquee Jets, which was later sold to NetJets. It's actually, Marquee Jet was a, it's kind of like the Uber of private jets, right? Because no one wants to own their own private jet and have their own staff and everything. So it was like a sharing economy thing for private flights. And that's how he met. And he later sold that company to NetJets, which is owned by Warren Buffett. It was actually via net, um, that company that he met Sarah Blakely, his now wife. Sarah Blakely being the owner of the billion dollar company Spanx, which is now since sold to Blackstone, sold to Blackstone for $2.4 billion. So Jesse himself, if you Google him, he's worth over $200 million, extremely successful. His wife's worth a billion, right? So super successful people. What I find fascinating about Jesse is he, because he's so successful in business, I love talking to people, learning from people who... Um, I love learning about successful people, how they, how they got successful. I love learning what they're doing on the other side of success as well. So Jesse, for example, is all about experiences. So for example, he hired David Goggins to live with him and train him for 30 days. Damn. I guess familiar with David Crazy. Goggins? Yeah. 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 Maybe see you. Wouldn't you want to do that? Me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't yeah, you want yeah. to do that? I'd be like, no, man. Just leave me alone. <laughs> that was a blog for him and he turned it into a book, which became a New York Times bestselling book. All right. So if, I highly recommend anyone... Uh, for anyone who likes, it's entertaining as hell. And it's actually incredibly inspiring because Jesse was in his late 40s, I think. Already a regular marathon runner. And now he's being trained by Goggins to do like 100 push-ups and 100 pull-ups every day and run like 10 miles every day. Mm-hmm. Right? I'd be broken. That'd be wild. so broken. Yeah. <laughs> right? So it's mm-hmm. hilarious. It's a hilarious story. Just mm-hmm. from someone else's account to David Goggins and you feel like Goggins, you can't hurt me, but yeah, it's all fascinating. And again, he's all about experiences now and uh, not just like life experiences, but also his relationship with his kids. Because mm-hmm. he's actually, I share this in common, Jesse, I'm obsessed with time. At this point in my life, I'm obsessed with time, how little time I have, which kind of motivates me to do everything. For example, that motivated me to invest early. Right. Mm-hmm. I find like you guys are a rarity. I think, I don't know if you, I think you guys know that you guys are rare to be investing so young. Because for example, my clientele is usually late 30s or 40s. Their kids mm-hmm. are usually on the older side. So now they're like, I have some time, now I'll go invest. Versus I was like, I need to invest now, right? Yeah. In order to capture all the gains, you know, you know what I mean? I'm not waiting, mm-hmm. I need to capture these gains now. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting that you say that. I do think a lot of like the next generation is getting earlier and earlier and earlier, right? Like I think with the popularity of like all this stuff on social media and just being so publicly available, like when you got into it in 2010, or earlier than that, because yeah. uh, 2010 is when you were a realtor, so you were already in it, like probably like 05 or something like that. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. I think for the next generation, like people are seeing it all over social media, they're seeing it all over YouTube, Instagram, everything about like real estate investing, stocks, any uh, crypto, like all forms of investing, and it's becoming a little bit of a flex in today's culture to just be an investor and and be investing at an early age, right? Versus like even yourself. You must have started in like 2005 or something like that. And none of this stuff was really out there. You'd have to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which is one of the few books that were easy enough right. to read. But it was all theory. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Spreadsheets. Yeah, there all no theory. And yeah, so, you know, different times. But I mean, that being said, that takes us, I guess, into one of your other investing vehicles, right? So you had the real estate going, you had the realtor business going, you had the conference going, which is November 12th, as you mentioned, use the code RISE for anyone that's interested. But then you started up Stock Hacker as well, right? Mm-hmm. So how did you then go about growing that business? Where did that come out of? And yeah, just tell us a little bit about that business. Because what I find most fascinating here is how many things you're managing at the same time. Yeah. Or right? not managing. Among, amongst, amongst everything else. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually a real estate friend of mine was telling him, he had a big portfolio. It was actually at one of these networking events. And he goes, because we know each other for a while. He goes, do you know what I do for a living? 
He goes, yeah, you do some sort of stock stuff. He's like, I don't do some sort of stock stuff. He was offended by me. (laughs) (laughs) He said, I do stock options. And they're like, okay, interesting. You told me two books to read. Derek Foster's Money for Nothing. And um, Lee Lowell's uh, Get Rich with Options. It's all right there. Order the books on Amazon. And I read them. And then I did nothing for two years. And then I ran into him again at a sandwich shop. And we were both had different meetings. He asked if he could join me after he was done his lunch. He just asked if you sit down. He goes, yeah, sit down. He goes, did, did you, did you do anything? They're like, no, I didn't do anything. I'm busy with real estate. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I didn't work. I didn't do my homework. He goes, yo, did you know that Adriano, our paisan, you know, friend in Italian, the electrician, we use the same electrician for our properties, right? He goes, I tell him to make six figures. I'm like, yeah, be kidding me, right? Like if my electrician friend can make six figures, I can probably do this too. Like I went to business school. I, I studied some of this stuff, right? And so I, I talked to Adriano, I bought him lunch and he goes, yeah, it was all real. Showed it to me, right? And uh, it's just been a journey ever since then. I've gotten whacked just like many people in the last year, but I didn't use a lot of money. And also because it's partly because of the conference, I took a lot of money out of my account in order to invest in the conference, mm-hmm. right? And also it was funny in 2021, I think by February, I had a lot of crypto. <laughs> so I was up like over 40%. And then I was like, oh, I'm an investing God. <laughs> and in hindsight, I should have just taken it all, walked away. But I got greedy. And this was my lack of experience. Because, for example, my good friend, Derek Foster, now he's my friend, Derek Foster, who wrote six books on the subject of stocks. Yeah. He's just like Buffett in that anything's overhyped. Anything that's overhyped, he sells it. Anything that people say is crap, he buys it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, for example, he bought oil, just like Buffett did. Everyone says, well, it's crap. All about electric vehicles and clean energy. Buffett buys Occidental Petroleum, right? So it's so the same thing with Derek. And like, okay, I did a lot of these, these things wrong. I'm going to be ready for this dip. So, mm-hmm. for example, I have cash on the sidelines deliberately because I'm just waiting for this thing to keep going down. I actually kind of hope this thing keeps going down. So I can start adding buying positions that will do well and create me hopefully another six figure income. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So overall, like what are your thoughts on speaking about markets? Like what are your thoughts on real estate market in the future? We'll tap into your crystal ball a bit and also equities market. I assume in this case, one and the other are somewhat closely tied. Somewhat. Uh, somewhat. somewhat. More so there's a huge global impact. So you imagine all asset prices will devalue over the next few months. But yeah. What are your thoughts? What is your crystal ball saying? Crystal ball is good as yours. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, broken. <laughs> totally broken. Yeah. You know, you know, I got some things right on this year. For example, we locked in some mortgages last year for like around the like close to two. And what we didn't lock in, we went to uh, interest only on our mortgages. And I ordered all of our appraisals in like January, February. Mm-hmm. So we appraised high. And I'm interest only on anything that's that I didn't lock in for like 2% ish. Perfect world. I would have sold some stuff. Yeah. Right. Perfect world. Didn't get it perfect. I'll never get it perfect. I never expect to get it perfect. Right. Technically I bought two houses in 2021, for example, and they're likely negative in terms of value, Mm -hmm. but they carry themselves. So I don't care. Yeah. Right. In terms of going forward, just like you guys, I follow many respected economists in Canada. I think the, Big outlier is what the hell is the Bank of Canada going to do? So, for example, at lunch, I Googled it today. I should probably still have it open, but inflation 12 months ago was like 4.4% CPI. If anyone Google it, 2021 CPI, but 4.4%. 
where was the Bank of Canada then? What happened to our 2% targets? Mm-hmm. Right? So my point is, if they mess it up then, who says they're going to get it right this time? Yeah. Because yeah. my prediction is, it's not until we see an interest rate cut where people just are just piling back into the market. Yeah. Right? So then how do you time that? You can't. Mm-hmm. Right? But just like the fall of the real estate market, the trigger was the first interest rate increase. Yeah. So I think the next, the trigger for to go complete bull run again, and it might be, not be a complete bull run. It won't be like 2020 again. My guess will be one cut interest rates. Yeah. Uh, but we're looking at deals today where we can buy properties for below replacement value. Because contractor costs and build costs. Like for example, my insurance quote came back. My replacement cost for my thousand square foot bungalow was 400,000. That's $400 a square foot. Right. I can mm-hmm. buy some properties for 400 a square foot. Remove the land from the equation, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Can, like, for example, in the areas that we operate, for example, I have a team member in Belleville. We're buying everything under 400, like 400 or under. Yeah. So I can buy stuff for like 300, 400 a square foot below replacement cost, and it comes with a piece of land. Yeah. Right. And so mm-hmm. I always like, apologies to any condo investors. Like, I, like, why would anyone buy a new construction condo for 1,700 square foot? It doesn't come with any land. I can mm-hmm. buy stuff for below replacement value. Yeah. Right? So that's the stuff that we're seeing right now. And then again, like I mentioned earlier, traffic conversion. And the thing I left out is student rental landlords got whacked in the pandemic, right? Yeah. Because Univers- <laughs> universities were closing down and whatnot. And now it's payback time. So a lot of those landlords got out of the market, either rented to families or they sold. Now there's no supply. Mm-hmm. So for example, my friends at Rent Panda told me they rented out a house, a seven bedroom house by University of Guelph for, you want to guess how much? Seven bedroom house? 800 a bed? 750 a bed? 700 a bed, 750, yeah. Yeah, 7,500 a month for the house. Jesus Christ. Whoa. That's, that that's is ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So it's payback time for a student rental landlords like myself. Yeah. Right? And like us too. Hooray. Right? <laughs> payback yeah. time. So yeah. if you can find something. Jackers up enough. <laughs> yeah. So again, like we, you talked about opportunities. There's opportunity. Like obviously like get educated on how to run a proper student rental. So you're, you know, within the bylaw. Yeah. Right. But yeah, do it right. And man, 75, what, you know, you, you look where you guys live. What kind of house do you have to have to get 7,500 in rent? <laughs> right. Even if That's you have a baller exactly. house. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Have, like what is a, what is a 3,500 square foot house rent in your market? Right. Mm-hmm. Not 7,500. Yeah. Not 75. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's probably like close to 2 mil. Right. Right. Yeah. So yeah, uh, that's so, yeah I'm, really. I'm raising all my rents. I'm probably going to be asking between eight, 900 bucks a room for my properties. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and that's, so that's like a 40% increase. Right. So yeah, inflation sucks. Here it is. <laughs> I cover my inflation costs. But yeah. Yeah, did I answer any of your questions? <laughs> I just want to no, I, I, I think, no, that's I really I think we, we like, we, me and Austin obviously had an idea of what we want to talk to you about. I think we basically covered it all one way or the other. Kind of, we, we like to jump around and make our guests work for it. So I just want to say one quick thing is, is yeah, that yeah. the reason I asked this question and no one has a crystal ball, right? And we all are, are in no. agreement with that is, is that at least for every investor, whatever you believe is going to happen, like whatever you can convince yourself is going to happen is generally going to impact your investing. Right. So for you, you are saying that you think that the stock market's going to continue to dip. So you're holding liquid funds to take advantage of that. Right. So whether or not it's like you have a crystal ball or not, it's your personal belief. Okay. I think it'll go down further. So this mm-hmm. is when I'm going to take action. So I'm just curious to always hear different investors' thoughts on when they feel like it's the right opportunity mm-hmm. to act. Definitely a great episode. Usually at this point in the podcast, we like to ask our guests two questions. 
So the first is, how do you see your business evolving over the next five years? I have no idea. <laughs> how far out do you plan? You must plan or have goals for some, some stuff, right? Things are always changing. Like, for example, like you talked about, like your social media can go away, right? Mm-hmm. It sort of has. And like, for example, I have an iPhone, right? You guys have iPhones? You, probably, no, yeah. you guys look yeah. smart. You guys don't have iPhones. Android boy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. See, people talk about Google Slap or Facebook Slap. We had an Apple Slap. Like, for example, every time I download an app, it asks you, would you like to share information with the company? Like, no. <laughs> right? right? So including Facebook. So Facebook supposedly can't track me anymore via my phone. So then now the advertising on Facebook is not nearly as effective, right? Mm. And we experience it ourselves with our paid ads. They're less effective, which is, a, you know, and then if you're looking for stock advice, not stock advice, but who has the data now, right? Apple and Google, they have all the information and they're blocking everyone else, right? Because that's where the money is. So yeah, I don't think I answered your question either. <laughs> so my point is things always change, right? So I don't even think my email database is working as well as it used to be, right? So you have to be fluid, but some things that will never change is our authenticity, right? Like I admit that we lost money. I've, you know, I have like, I actually did the math today. I have about six to 70 grand in, in cryptos. I've lost one. It's like down more than half, right? right? But to me, that's not even a big amount of money. It sucks. Love to be up, but I'm just playing, right? Because I know if I don't have any money in it, I'm not going to take it seriously. And I still believe in all the stuff. It's just not the right time. I remember I lived through the dot com bubble burst. I saw lots of BS companies go IPO and whatnot, right? This is the same thing. A lot of these cryptos and companies will survive, right? So I don't know what the future holds. What I do know is I can't find a better investment than a hard asset like real estate or a company that pays me a dividend and a company that has a future that will last me forever. Right. For example, we talk about stocks like, um, you know, I've talked about Enbridge, I've talked about Bank of Nova Scotia, like this company, like both of those companies pay over 6% dividend. Right. Or like TELUS, we talked about cell phones. Do you see a world where people don't have internet or willing to give up their internet or their cell phone? service right they're basically tell us it's basically a utility company at this point right and and they pay me dividends so even if they go down they're still gonna pay me right yeah right and so for me just because i've seen so many people get hurt in private lending for example private borrowing private lending it's not something for me because to me i'm way too anxious i'm way too risk adverse because for example if like mayu for example if, if i lent you money you know, I'd at least have to do a site visit, right? right. Like wherever your property is, I have to go see it. Now I probably have to drive an hour, you know. It's not really passive anymore. Then. Right. Yeah. Not really <laughs> passive, you know. And then like, what if, what if something happened to you, right? Yeah. So you got hurt, products on the shelves, right? Yeah. And then now what? Like my, it's, it's my property now. Like, sorry, yeah. man. But then even before that, I have to go pay the first mortgage now. I have to make payments. I don't really have that kind of cash flow, yeah. right? So I see all these risks that people don't understand. Right. Because I've been around for a long time. So I don't think I answered any questions. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think that was pretty good. That was pretty good. So sounds like you don't plan too far. I'm sure you have your goals. Um, I guess the second question, well, we'll talk about that. I think you should have an answer for that one. So for newer or intermediate investors in the current market, mm-hmm. talk about any kind of investing. What's the main risk that you see today? 
main risk, piece of advice, anything like that. Short-term rentals are dangerous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Let's, let's hear your thought. I've, I saw you talk about it and share some uh, Instagram stories on it, but let's, let's dive deeper into it. What are your thoughts on it? I don't, Airbnb is not what it used to be. Maybe it's just my experience, but it keeps getting more expensive and the service isn't as good as a hotel. For example, I have to take out my own trash. It sucks. I have to put garbage in my car. <laughs> mm. I have to wash the dishes. And sometimes like parking is difficult. Whereas I go to a hotel, it's all taken care of. And then the bigger picture is that like no municipality wants short-term rentals in their area. Right? Uh, so for anyone who's making short-term uh, Airbnb, for example, as their primary investment strategy, you have better have a good plan B, plan C, plan D. Right? Like it better be, able to be a good long-term rental. We're, we're going to, we're going to Paris and Switzerland later this week. And mm-hmm. we don't even bother looking at Airbnbs because the thought yeah. of getting to a random place where you don't even really speak the language and then trying to figure out how to get into this house and where this house or unit or whatever is, I just didn't even bother. We just went straight hotel the entire way. Yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. And Airbnbs uh, are generally a lot more expensive. I find than just even staying at a hotel. It's yeah. gone that Airbnb. way. Yeah. Right. Cause hotels got whacked in the pandemic. Like no one's business traveling anymore. So they often yeah. are better deal. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. yeah, no, I, uh, I agree. And you know what? It goes without saying as well. Like if you're doing student rental investing, it should work as a single family house. Like it's just, it's the reality of it. You should always have backup strategies. So oh, yeah. totally agree with you there. Yeah. Um, Multiple when the, always, always. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> surprisingly, not many investors will have multiple exits, uh, but that's a topic for another time. Um, Erwin, really appreciate you jumping on this podcast, sharing a ton of value. You're someone that all investors in the community, I'm sure can draw inspiration from. You're shaking your head no, but I'm shaking it yes. <laughs> You're not very good at taking compliments. Don't worry. That's like me as well. But um, if people want to be more informed on what you're up to, connect with you on social media, as well as attend the wealth hacker event like what is the best way to get all of that information do you have a link tree is it on your instagram like how can they best reach out to you yeah I'm, we're somewhat organized on our socials so i'm on, mostly on facebook and instagram so my name's awkward as heck to spell <laughs> hopefully you get it right in the show notes <laughs> uh i have my own podcast it's about real estate investing it's not very good it'll get better when you guys are on in a few weeks yeah, Wealth Hacker Conference, you know, the timing could not be better, especially for anyone who's newer. Because again, education was so missing. Like the people who are in trouble right now, the education was missing or they got really bad advice. Right. Do I have time to give a quick story? Yeah, oh, yeah. let's do it. 100%. Go for it. So I saw a student rental in my neighborhood that I wanted, right? Just recently. It popped in my email because I, you know, I get filtered searches, whatever. Anyways, the pictures are of a renovation project. The kitchen is missing right? The walls are being prepared to paint. The bathroom, the toilet's missing and the tile surround hasn't been grouted yet, right? It's brand new tile surround, but it hasn't been grouted yet. So who does that for a realtor.ca pictures, right? These people are desperate mm-hmm. for, for the, for the novice, for example, you can't get schedule a or schedule B financing because there's no kitchen and bathroom. There's no flooring, right? Yeah. So then we get the backstory. It just so happens the seller reached out to me over social media. And then we found out, and then we just do some digging. They paid like 7,800 grand for these properties. They bought, they had two. They paid 7,800 grand for these properties and they're listed for five. Wow. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. So, and they bought 
like earlier this year. So they bought near the peak. But again, I mentioned lack of education or bad advice. Rental licensing is coming to Hamilton, specifically the areas around school. They will that they fall within. Why are you renovating when you don't know what the license requirements are? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Why? That makes no sense. The city may make you renovate again. Mm-hmm. So they didn't know what they're doing. <laughs> right. My understanding is issues with the investment partner. They all want out. They're going to take a bath on this. Right. Mm-hmm. At the same time. If you want to be a good, successful investor, you better know how to jump into that. You better have your finances ready. For example, you're going to, have to go private or cash if you want yeah. to get that property. And it's a great deal. Mm-hmm. Right. So are you capable of that? Do you know how to renovate it properly? Do you have all those ducks in line? Right. So that's I don't know where I'm going with this. That's why I yeah. say to a beginner, because if you're not, you're up against me or you're up against you guys. Right. Mm-hmm. People who, who are sophisticated, because if you're not sophisticated, someone's going to hand it to you. It could be yeah. your tenant. It could be the city. Most likely your tenant. <laughs> right. So, yeah, yeah be sophisticated uh, or get good advice. Super important. There's a lot of horror stories in real estate and some that Tons. I don't even share because I'm sure I know some stories and there might be a listener on this podcast, but um, it doesn't come to light. Right. But people don't like to share losses all you see is the wins. So it's easy to look at people's Instagram and feel like you need to take action, but then rush into it too quickly. So it's something that a lot of investors definitely need to be cognizant of. But yeah, appreciate that story there. I'm sure over the next few months, we'll be hearing, hopefully not, but like the reality is you might be hearing some more of these stories, right? As, as things get tougher and you don't invest correctly, it's just a matter of time. Yeah. Um, but it's like a business. Right. Treat it like a business, educate yourself, listen to our podcast, listen to Irwin's podcast, and you, you should be well on your way. <laughs> uh, anyways, oh, yeah. let's- like you said, the information now is better than ever. The availability of, of expertise is better than ever. Yeah, but then there's, also crap, there's also crap information out there. So you need to differentiate. Oh yeah, there's tons of crap the as well. Yeah. Right? yeah. You and need to figure them, out which one's not and which one's good. If they've gone quiet, Likely something didn't go well. Yeah, likely. <laughs> right? Yeah, because yeah. people only post positives. If there's only, mm-hmm. if they only have negatives to report, they're not posting. Or if there's a ne- oh man, I can go on and on. Maybe I should just stop. This <laughs> is gonna add on to this, but yeah, it's your uh, podcast, so you guys will end up getting sued. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Anyways, Erwin, it was uh, it was a blast having you on, man. And uh, yeah, excited to to jump on your podcast. And uh, yeah, we'll connect again soon. Guys, make sure to attend that Wealth uh, Conference event. You're going to meet some fantastic investors there. Maybe you'll see myself down there as well. Maybe we'll see Mayu as well. But uh, until next time, everyone, invest smarter, uh, live better. Take care, everyone.